following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from Life Point Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's Word is a real blessing to you. Romans chapter 12, uh, our text today is verses 9 through 13, and uh, we'll read that here in a moment. But it's been said, maybe you've heard this or heard something similar to this before, that when you stop growing, you start dying. Right? When you stop growing, you start dying. And uh, typically that line uh, would be used for business. So uh, when, when, a, when a company begins to stagnate and begins to stop growing and start losing its market share, it's, it's on the path to becoming the next Radio Shack or Blockbuster or Kmart. Now I feel old reminiscing on the businesses that have gone by the wayside since, you know, since I've been around and you can probably remember those two, and so feel old with me. But it's interesting to think about all those businesses that at one point were thriving, they were doing well, and then they began to stagnate, and they died. Now, now no business wants to end up like that, right? They want to keep making money, and so a good company is, is never content with where they are. They're, they're always looking for that, that next edge, that slightest inefficiency, how they can grab another share of the market, or or make the next innovation. And so they're always grasping for that next step. Because when you start, excuse me, when you stop growing, you start dying. And I think that's also true of the Christian life. It is true of the Christian life. That when Christians stop growing, they start dying. And it can happen very easily. Life just gets busy. Or you get distracted. Or you become content with the progress you've made. That, that wow, I've arrived. And, and, and sprinting in the Christian life turns into jogging. Jogging turns into walking. Walking turns into sitting. And before long, you're dead. And maybe that's happening to you. Maybe at one point in your Christian life, you, you were running. You were striving to become godly. And you've really began to slow down. What well, will God wants you to wake up, to, to grow in Christ, to not be content with where you are. But, but then for the rest of us, for, for all of us, how can we prevent that dreadful slide? How can you prevent yourself from beginning to slide towards death in the Christian life? How can you keep growing? Well, well one of the helpful tools that God has provided for us in his word is a passage like the one we have before us today where God is going to give us a series of very practical and very specific challenges to, to just probe where we're at and, and where God wants us to change. So let's read Romans 12, beginning in verse 9. It says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. Contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Now remember that two weeks ago, uh, we were in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and, and we saw in verse 1 that God commands every Christian to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. 
And so we saw that God is not content with just whatever you want to give him. Whatever you feel is not what God wants. No, no, God wants a holy and an acceptable sacrifice. So what is that? What does that look like in real life? Well, well, here really in verses 9 through 21, Paul gives us a series of practical commands that tell us what a holy and acceptable sacrifice to God looks like. And today's passage has 13 commands, 13 challenges that it gives. Now, I, I like organization. I like outlines. And so this passage has kind of blown my mind this week because what in the world am I supposed to do with 13 commands? And how am I supposed to put those together into one idea? And, uh, and so there's a lot here. There's a lot to organize. Uh, but, but these commands are, are very convicting. They're very specific. And they, and they lend us, and they lend to us all the opportunity to really think about where am I doing well and where do I need to change? And, and, and we don't want to die, right? We want to keep growing. And, and so my, my challenge to you today is to use these commands to take another step in your Christian life. To think about where do I need to do better? Where does God want me to grow? And so... Today, I want you to evaluate your heart. Evaluate your actions based on what God is calling you to do in these, in these verses. And, and, and commit, by the grace of God, to change. To push yourself to the next level. And God especially calls you to keep growing here in, in four targeted areas. And the first area in verse 9 is in, your, in, is in godly affections. God wants you, if you're going to continue to grow to continue cultivating godly affections. And the first affection that, that he targets is genuine love. Genuine love. So, so again, he says there at the beginning of verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Now, it's interesting that, that the Greek word that's, that's translated hypocrisy was originally used of someone who would wear a mask in a Greek play. And so when they would do these plays, they would have different masks that you could put on. And so you might put on a mask. Uh, they, they were very different from like our advanced ones today, but you might put on a mask that had a, a smiley face on. And then you'd take it off between scenes and put on a different mask that had a frowny face. Now, of course, we all recognize that putting on that mask on your face doesn't actually reflect what's in your heart. It's just a cover for what's really going on inside of you. And that's a, a great illustration of what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite is someone who hides behind a deceptive mask. And sadly, we, we've all experienced hypocritical love in our lives, right? You know, some person, they, they come up to you and they are overwhelmingly friendly. You're almost like, get off me, right? And there's big hugs, there's huge smiles, there's all this, you know, eagerness and happiness, and then you find out that this guy is slandering you behind your back. And all that friendliness, all that show of niceness was just a plastic show. It was hypocritical. And God is saying to us here that He demands more than just a show of love. He demands love without hypocrisy. Now, we are all very skilled at rehearsing all the hypocritical love that other people have shown towards us, right? 
I mean, we can, we can see hypocrisy from a mile away. You know, it's like we have the gift of prophecy or something. But the moment that the mirror turns back towards me, all of a sudden that prophetic gift, it goes poof, and I can't see any hypocrisy anywhere. But, but God sees. And probably if we're honest with ourselves, there's more hypocrisy in our hearts than we'd like to admit. You know, maybe uh, you are super friendly at church. You're so kind, so nice to people. But the moment the car door shuts in that parking lot, you turn into a jerk. And your kids, your, your kids watch you here at church and they're like, who is that guy? Because uh, I don't see that guy the other six days of the week. You know, or maybe you know, you're really good at playing the friendly game. But when, when love would actually demand that, that you generously care for someone, love them sacrificially, well, well, that's the end of your love. You'll be nice, but it doesn't actually change how you actually behave and sacrifice for people. You know, maybe, you know, teens, and frankly all of us would have this challenge. Maybe, maybe kids, you, know, you are so, so careful with your image and, and so careful to be kind when you're with the cool kids at school, but then your siblings... They know someone very different than the person that you portray when you are with your friends at school. And adults obviously do the same thing as well. But, but understand, folks, that God sees behind the mask. He knows what is in your heart. And He is challenging you in this verse to take your love for other people to another level. Don't just put on a show of love. God wants you to love people sincerely from the heart. And, and I think it's, you know, it's worth emphasizing that, that that is a grace of God, right? That is a fruit of the Spirit. It's not something that, that selfish sinners like us do naturally. But by the grace of God, you need to grow a sincere love for people. And, and then the second uh, affection that he highlights is godly taste. Godly taste. So he goes on in verse 9 and says, Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Abhor is a great word, right? I love that word, abhor. Sounds strong. And, and the Greek word, it reflects well the, the Greek word. The Greek word here means to despise, to hate bitterly, to, to have a, a feeling of whore. So, so God here is commanding us to abhor evil. That's another really convicting challenge. You know, do you abhor evil? Or, or do you find, actually, if you're honest with yourselves, do you actually find a lot of pleasure in evil? Think about your entertainment. Do you regularly sit in front of the TV in your house and you are entertained, you laugh at, you, you find great pleasure in watching people sin against God? Or does it make you angry? You know, think, of your, think of the things you listen to on the radio. You know, again, or, or things you listen to in your headphones. Are, are you taking pleasure in sin? Or does sin make you angry? Because people are rebelling against God. And God says to us here that, that we should not take pleasure in sin. We should not take pleasure in people openly mocking the, the Word of God by, by doing things that God says are evil. 
I mean, when you see sin happen on the TV, do you laugh at it? Or do you want to throw something at it? So God says, abhor evil. You know, think about your conversation. Do you relish a thick slice of gossip? Or do you really enjoy complaining about this thing and that thing or listening to someone else complain about the thing that you also don't like? Do you enjoy listening to others spew rotten words? You know, foul language. Using the Lord's name in vain, it ought to make you angry. It's not something you should ever become numb to. So God says, abhor what is evil. And then on the other side, He says, cling to what is good. That word for cling is another really vivid word. Uh, It means to to glue or to cement together. So, So God commands you to thirst after goodness, holiness, and truth. And when you find it, you cling to it. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22 tell you to examine everything carefully and hold fast. Same idea, hold fast to, to what is good and then abstain from every form of evil. Now that's a really important challenge because the truth is, is that our sinful hearts are naturally attracted to what is evil. You know, evil is, is oftentimes provocative. It's, it's compelling. It's interesting. Right? I mean, there's a reason why, why most TV shows are, are not about people with, with a, a good family, going to work every day, living a normal Christian life. It's because sinners don't find that interesting. You know, they want mess. They want sin. They want chaos. And, and you and your sinful heart naturally love those things too. So it takes work to change your taste. But by the grace of God, you you want to change it. You you want to be someone who who loves goodness. You want to be someone that that loves conversation that edifies. You want to find your joy in holiness. So, So by the grace of God, take your walk to another level. Love what is good. Hate what is evil. Spend your time in the Word of God. Again, you you can only do this by the grace of God. Right? Like, you need the the power of God transforming your heart if you're going to abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. So so walk with the Lord. Take your fruit to the next level. So so, so verse 9 targets godly affections. Genuine love and godly taste. And and I want to emphasize that that really is the foundation of godliness. Right, like We can work on all the externals, which we're going to get to, the external practices and so forth in the rest of the sermon today. But, but it always begins in the heart. And you can fool all of us, but you can't fool the Lord. So make sure that you are cultivating a heart that pleases Him. So, so the first target is godly affections, and the second target is loving service. Loving service. Now, now verses 10 and 13 highlight four aspects of how Christians need to love each other. And love is going to dominate the rest of the chapter. It's going to dominate verses 14 through 21. Now, that's no surprise, right? Because because love for one another is the axis of the Christian ethic. So Jesus, or excuse me, Paul said in, in Galatians 5 verse 14, the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, 
you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So it's very important that we recognize at the outset of this section that, that you cannot honor the Lord and, and you, cannot, you cannot cultivate genuine godliness if you neglect love for other people and specifically love for the other Christians, for God's people. So Paul challenges, these, these four challenges are very important. So first of all, Paul challenges us to develop brotherly love. Brotherly love. So he says in verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And what's Paul assuming there? The, the very idea of brotherly love is assuming that, that we as God's people, we, we are family, right? We are brothers and sisters. And, and so if you're a member of our church, God placed you and God placed everyone else in this church together in this body. So God gave you a family. And He gave you to the other people in our body. And that's good news. That's great, right? Because, because you don't have to face the pressures and hostilities of this world alone. God gave you a spiritual family that, that can help you and encourage you. And I hope that you value that as a precious gift of God that, that you have that family. I, mean, I can't imagine life without the, the family that God has given us in this church. It's a precious thing. And, and God commands you to, to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. You know, families have conflicts, right? They always do. Maybe you're going to be with some conflicting family members this coming week. But, but what do they do? They work through them. They press forward. So, so refuse to get stuck in petty fights. I mean, there is no room for, for childish conflict among God's people. Don't form cliques. Don't just ignore problems. Pursue the people of God. Be quick to forgive. And stick with each other. Always think the best. Be full of grace. And then just in general, he's commanding you specifically to devote the time and attention necessary to cultivate brotherly love. You know, just think of marriage. I mean, what happens to your marriage if you do not devote time and attention to your marriage? It begins to die. It falls apart. And so the same is true of any relationship, including the church. So, so, so you have to devote time and attention to the body of God, to the church, if it is going to be healthy. So, so I want to challenge you to think very specifically. Think very specifically. How do you need to love this family better? How do you need to give more time and more attention to the church here at LifePoint? Where does God want you to be more devoted to brotherly love? And so by God's grace, recognize where, where you need to grow and change. And, and so the first aspect of, of, of love here is brotherly love. And then the second aspect of love is eager honor. Eager honor. So, so he goes on in verse 10 and says, give preference to one another in honor. Now, now this command uh, is one that would have been shocking in the Roman world. I, I've got a quote here from Jerry Toner. He is an expert 
in, in Roman culture, and, and he says most common Romans, ordinary run-of-the-mill Romans, saw their neighbors as competitors, not comrades, in the harsh struggle for scarce resources. To have nothing was to be nothing in the Roman world. Theirs was a culture where people strove to look down on their neighbors with something of the same disdain that the elite looked down on them. So, that to me kind of sounds like a junior high girl's sleepover, right? You know, so, so you got these girls, they're up late at night, they're goofy, and, and one starts to tell a story, and, and the other, you know, this other girl over here, she doesn't want her to get the attention, so she talks a little louder and starts telling her story, and then another girl starts telling her story just a little bit louder, and before long, it's just a whole bunch of, of chaotic shrills. It's loud, it's obnoxious. Now, adults, we, we generally know how to at least appear more spiritual, and so we know not to do that, but, but we still have our ways of demanding attention, pushing our agenda, and pursuing my glory. But God says, give preference to one another in showing honor. And actually, the more precise translation would be to outdo one another in showing honor. So if someone shows honor to you, you're not, you're, I mean, you're going to take it to another level. You're going to compete in the sense that you're going to show more honor to others. You, you want to do the best in showing honor. And so God is commanding you not to grasp after your own glory. Or, or frankly, after any selfish concern. No, instead, go after people. And, and, and go after them with a heart that you want others to receive honor and others to receive glory. Don't grasp for attention. That, that's, a, again, a really good challenge for, for the younger people in the room. You know, that the world tells you that, that you need to grasp for your glory. You need to make yourself stand out. You, you need to be the loudest voice, the coolest kid, the most popular person at school. But God says that's not how Christians behave. That instead, Christians are focused on outdoing each other in honoring others. So find your joy in honoring other people and, and fading into the background. You'll be happy to praise people, even in a public setting. Here's a, here's a really practical challenge. And think this afternoon about someone in our church that you could honor in the testimony service tonight. Like who's someone that's made an impact in your life? I don't think that's in the, necessarily the list of questions that we're planning to put on the screen. But, but, but who's someone in this church that has impacted you? And how have they done it? And how can you honor them by giving thanks and glory to God for His grace through this person? We should be eager to honor the people of God and, and, to, and, and to put them ahead of ourselves. Now, now doing that demands real love. Because our selfish hearts don't want other people to get the attention. Our, our selfish hearts want me to get the attention. But, but you'll never, and so you'll never enjoy honoring others as long as your heart is full of pride and self. So you need to make a choice by the grace of God to purify your love. To sincerely love people and, and enjoy seeing others honored. Now, of course, you don't just do that at church. Do it at home. Do it in your school, and your sports team, or, or at work. Because you'll find far more joy, far more joy, loving people 
and, and looking to lift other people up than you ever will grasping to get it for yourself. And we'll all be more blessed, right? I mean, it's miserable to be around petty competition. No one likes that. But it's a joy to be on genuine love of people who just want to be a blessing to others and lift them up. So, so cultivate an eager honor where, where you are happy and excited and eager to lift up other people. And then the third aspect of love is generous care. Generous care. So, so jumping down to verse 13, verse 13 says, contributing to the needs of the saints. Now, now what's interesting about this command is that the word translated contributing is the Greek verb koinoneo, or, or koin, um, um, and it's a verb, it's, it's a common word, that, that it means to share or to partner. So, the idea then is that if a fellow believer has a need, that, that you don't just throw a few dollars at it and forget about it. No, instead, if you are going to share in the needs of the saints, the idea is, is that when someone else has a need, that you get under the load with them. That their burden becomes their, your burden, and you share that with them. Now, I had the privilege of, of experiencing that just a couple weeks ago. I was on my way into men's Bible study, and my car broke down. And so I'm sitting on the side of the road, and I called Joel, and Joel picked me up and kind of went out of his way and picked me up, brought me, to all to, brought me to men's Bible study. And then at the end of the men's Bible study, I mentioned that my car was stuck on the side of the road, and like four guys wanted me to use their AAA membership to get my car home. Well, Daniel, Batchman got the short end of the straw, and he's the one that helped me out, and he gave of his time and, and got, helped me get my car back home. Daniel Clark came over in the afternoon, helped me fix the car. And it kind of, the drama continued, and, and we'll leave it at that, but, <laughs> but, but lots of guys showed generous care, right? They didn't just sit there and be like, wow, hope you get it fixed. That's a bummer. No, they, they, they jumped in. They shared the load with me. And, and be that person. You know, Jesus says it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so find ways to be generous. Not just to satisfy your conscience so you don't look like a Scrooge. And, and even if you don't have extra money you know, laying around or you don't have necessarily the ability to do some of those more practical things, you can pray for people. You can speak encouraging words. You can be a good friend. And, and, and so I'm so thankful that, that our church, I believe, has, has had a, a generous culture over the years. You know, we, we all, of course, there's, there's always places that we fall short, places we could do better, but we've had a good culture. But, but folks, we, we can't just bank on that. Because when you stop growing, you start dying. And so we have to strive to maintain that. So, so I want to urge you specifically to push your generosity to the next level. And then the fourth aspect of love is openness at home. Openness at home. So he says at the end of verse 13, practicing hospitality. Now, this is another interesting Greek word. That the Greek word for, for hospitality is the word philozenia. Philozenia, and it's a, it's a compound word. It's a combination of the word love, philos, and the word xenia, which is strangers. So, so when he says practice hospitality, he is literally saying practice love for strangers. 
I think that's a great idea because, because that means that, that when we think of hospitality, we are not fundamentally thinking about, well, I've got this big home and I love to entertain, I love to put on parties, and, and, so, and so I put on the best parties in town and I bring people over to, to be a part of my great party. No. No, no the idea fundamentally is that you love strangers. You care for people. And because of that, you are eager to serve them. Now, now in Paul's context, he's primarily thinking of, of love for, for Christians who are traveling through town. And so, uh, in the ancient world, uh, there, there weren't very many hotels. And the hotels that did exist were raunchy and expensive and full of all sorts of sin and disgustingness. And you can, I'll leave that to your own imagination. And so very early on, as the church began to spread throughout the Roman world, it became a high priority among Christians that they would practice hospitality towards each other. So if a fellow believer came through town, he, he would have a place to stay, that, a place where, where he could know that he'd be secure and safe and have fellowship with other believers. Now, now that's probably not as big of a priority today as it was in the ancient world. We, we have much better hotels, much safer hotels, and most people have the money to get one, and, and uh, although at times it is, it is it, I mean, we shouldn't lose that sense that, that to give someone a place to stay, a, a home for the night, is, is a really, really key idea that, that's emphasized a number of times in Scripture. But, but the idea, though, fundamentally, for us, is that we need to love strangers. Love strangers. So, so someone walks into church that you don't know. You know, is your, first, is your first impulse to go find your friends so you don't have to talk to someone new? Or, or when you come across a potential brother in Christ that you've never met before, you are eager to go meet them, get to know them, love them. You know, let's say a visitor sits in your seat. Don't you dare go tell them, hey, you're in my seat. No. Be excited that they're sitting in your seat because someone new's here and you want to get to know them and love them and, and share with them. And, and then, of course, primarily, I think where, where this really hits home is that we need to get people into our homes, right? Hospitality. So, so the home, right, is the, is, is the center of this activity. So, so get people into your home. Now, I can't think of any way that, that you can express more openness and, and do more to build real relationship with people than, than to get people into your most personal space. So don't look at your home as a, as a fortress where you lock out the world. Look at your home as a hospital where you care for people, you serve them, you use it to be a blessing. And um, because that demonstrates tremendous love. I mean, you are opening yourself up in a unique way when you bring people into your house, and, and it builds so much. Now, I know hospitality is demanding. And food is expensive, and it's getting more expensive all the time. And, and entertaining people is hard work. But, but remember that hospitality is not about doing your best Martha Stewart imitation, that's not the point. It's about loving God's people. And you know from experience, you've, been, you've probably been, hopefully you've been in a number of people's homes over the years, and, 
And the, and the times that you really remember, what you don't remember is the food. Or, or how incredible of a, of a house this person had. What you remember, what impacted you, was the love of Christ and the fellowship of the Spirit. And that, that's huge. Yeah, I, I traveled on a music team my first year of college, and, and throughout that summer, I think we traveled for nine weeks, and we, I stayed in six different homes every week. And, and I don't remember... A lot, well, I, I remember some really strange things from that summer. You know, but, but the most impactful experiences were, were not the biggest places. I, I remember staying with a guy in Ohio that I mean, lived in a double-wide trailer. His house was kind of a mess. He drank buttermilk for breakfast. He was the, the 20th child in his family. He grew up in eastern Kentucky. But this guy was growing in Jesus, and I'll never forget the fellowship I enjoyed with that guy. And God used him in my life. And so you don't have to have the best place, the coolest stuff, be the best entertainer. Just love people. Don't let your pride stand in the way of a tremendous ministry. And the literal idea here, by the way, is that you are to pursue hospitality. So be aggressive. Some of you have never had another family from the church in your home. Never. Or, or for the, if you have, you know, just think about how long has it been? Has it been a week? Has it been two weeks? Has it been a month? Oh, it's been three months, six months, a couple years. And, and so, so think about that. And hospitality is a, is a, is a crucial aspect of godliness. Make it a priority because there are few greater ways that you can there are few greater ways that you can grow the health of our church than, than through your home. Because we need to love each other. We need strong connections in the body. You know, so if you're looking for a way to, to serve the Lord and build the church, hospitality is right there at the top of the list. So get people into your home, love them like Christ, build relationships. And, and I think if you've been around LifePoint for years, you know that, that hospitality ha- has been a crucial piece to, to the fellowship that our church has enjoyed. But, but that's not something we can ever take for granted. And we've got to work hard to grow that, not to just stagnate and die. So, so make it a priority to love strangers and to love the strange people that are sitting all around you. All right, love people, get them into your home. So, so the second major target area of our text is loving service. And then the third major target is diligent effort. So, so verse 11 says, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Now, if your response to the last target, loving service, was to start thinking of all the reasons why you can't do that, well, then this verse is for you. So first, God commands you not to lag behind in diligence. Now, when I read this, I, I think of P.E. Do you remember the first time you had to run a mile in P.E.? You know, and so you've been kind of working up to this mile and your, your P.E. teacher is going to time you. And, and there's two kinds of kids when, when it's time to run that mile. You know, there's some kids, they're fired up, right? I mean, they're excited. You know, they're bouncing around. They are going to blow everyone out of the water. They're going to get the best time. And then there's the other kids that are like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. 
I'm going to walk if my coach will let me. They don't care. And, and, so, and so they are lagging behind in diligence. And churches tend to be the same way. We've all heard the line, right? 20% of the people do 80% of the work. That's how churches generally are. So, so there's a lot of people who are lagging behind in diligence. Now, now to be fair, some of those people, there's people in the church that, that wish they could do more, but they just can't because of the providence of God. Their health isn't what it used to be. They, they've got complications in their family or their job that, that hold them back. But, but then there's other people that, that, that are just very content letting other people pick up the slack for them. And, and they are not diligent in their effort to serve the Lord. And if that's you, God commands you not to lag behind. Do not be content letting others pick up the slack for you when you know that there is more that you could be doing to serve God. You know, you can't control your abilities. Right? You can't necessarily control how much money you have in the bank. But you can always control your effort. No one but you controls your effort in serving the Lord. So be diligent in effort. And, 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 God, and, and, and you'll only do so as you strive to obey the next challenge in the passage, which is to be fervent in spirit. Fervent in spirit. Now the Greek term here means to be on fire. So, so don't just go through the motions. You know, don't walk the mile when you can run the mile. Be on fire to serve God. Fervent in spirit. Now I recognize that's not always natural. Right? Like, like most people don't jump out of bed every morning just excited for the day. Alright? And, and there are things that God calls us to do that are really hard. Things that, that boy, it, it's, it makes you anxious and nervous. But, but if you are going to serve the Lord diligently, if you are not going to lack diligence, then you have to work on your passion. You can't just fake it. You've got to cultivate a passion for people, a passion for ministry. And you can change that. You can cultivate fervency by the grace of God. And how do you do that? Well, the primary way that you do that is really to obey the third challenge in verse 11, which is that you are serving the Lord. It's the Lord that you serve. So, so don't ever think that you're just doing a job. Whenever you serve in the church, and, and really whenever you do any task, you are doing it for God. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 says, whatever you do, right? Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. So some weeks you're going to show up on Wednesday night to, to run a wana, and your table is going to be filled with some squirrely kids that you would really love to just punch in the notes. It's going to happen. You may call a church member up because you want to love him and encourage him and, and he won't even answer. Or he's grouchy. Why are you bugging me? Leave me alone. You know, sometimes you might be asked to do something that you think is dumb. Sometimes you just get disillusioned. And it kills your drive. But no matter what is going on around you or inside you, the Lord is always good. And the Lord always deserves your best effort. 
So serve the Lord. It's a privilege, right? I think often of, of what Jesus said in Matthew 25, verse 40. He says to, to the people who are before Him at the, at the Bema seat someday, He says to Christians, to the extent that you serve one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. So that squirrely kid at your Awana table, when you serve him, you are serving Jesus. You, you, could, you could picture Jesus sitting there instead of that kid. You're serving the Lord. So keep that mindset. Now, you know, a lot of you work so hard to serve the Lord. We, we've got some great servants here. So, so keep it up. Because God sees even if no one else does. There's other people that need to step up your game and do more. Now, you might have a list of excuses a mile long, but, but you know where you can do more for the Lord. So do not lag behind in diligence. Work hard. There's, there's more to be done. There's more to be accomplished. We need more disciple makers, more encouragers. So take your effort to another level. So, so pursue diligent efforts. And then the fourth target in our passage is grace-empowered perseverance. Grace-empowered perseverance. So, so verse 12 says, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. That's a great verse for us to end with today. Because, first of all, God commands you to rejoice in hope. And specifically, that hope there is the hope of eternity. It's not just a, a random, you know, kind of wishful thinking, po power of positive thinking. No, it is hope in the promises of the gospel that you have life forever with God. And, and that's really important, right? Because life in this world is hard. Ministry will crush you at times. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8, that, that his suffering in Asia caused him to be burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. That's not some you know, poor, grouchy, you know, old... I mean, this is Paul, right? He says he despaired even of life. So how do you press through those times? Well, very simply, you remember that heaven is coming. And it doesn't matter how much you have to sacrifice here because you have all of eternity to enjoy the unimaginable blessings of God. So I know some of you are carrying great burdens. They feel overwhelming. They feel unending. But the only thing that is unending is heaven. Not the burdens on your back. So, so, so see that glory that awaits. Get excited. Rejoice in the hope of God. Because that is the key. And so be encouraged. And, and in, in that hope, obey the next challenge, which is to persevere in tribulation. This is another of my favorite Greek words. That the word for persevere means literally to remain under. And, and, and very, I, I love that word because very often when we have a burden on our back, I mean, our, our only ambition is to get out from under it. We want that thing gone. But, but God says that, that you need to remember that He is sovereign. 
That, that, that a burden that God and His providence has put in your life is not something that you want to run from. It is something that you want to bear by the grace of God. It's no accident. It's not random. And God's grace is enough for you to carry it. Now remember there that, that you don't carry it alone. The final challenge of verse 12 is to remain devoted to prayer. Now that's very simple, right? Devoted to prayer. We all know that. But it's amazing how often I forget to pray. Like, like I've got something I've got to solve, and I'm going to solve it, and I'm going to fix it, and I'm going to do what I need to do to, to take care of this issue. And then like a day later, I'm like, you know, I didn't pray one time. And, and I think probably I'm, I'm sure that I'm not the only one who's that way. And we've got to remember that you need God. You need God. We need His grace and His help. I mean, think about the mission of the church. Our mission as a church is to see people who are spiritually dead raised to life. And we are in the business of seeing people transformed into the divine image. I can't do that. And you can't do that either. Those are works of the grace of God. And so one of the best ways you can love our church and serve our church is to pray. One of the best ways you can love your friends and serve your friends is to pray for them. To, to, to bring the grace of God on their lives. So there might be some people here that this sermon, and, and frankly last week's text as well, has, has been painful for you to hear because, because you want to serve God. But, but in the providence of God, you are really limited in what you can do at this stage of your life. Well, you can be devoted to prayer. You can be devoted to prayer. No matter who you are, no matter where you are, you can pray. And that's huge because God's hand will do more for our church than, than any about amount of, of human talent and ability or youthful energy ever could. The grace of God is what changes people's lives. So be devoted to prayer. Now folks, we all need grace-empowered perseverance. Grace has to drive our obedience to all 13 commands in this passage. And that's really important to remember because you look at a passage like this, when you start thinking about all the implications of trying to live out 13 of these things, and it's overwhelming. And how can I ever love unhypocritically? I mean, just think about that one. You know, how can I truly love goodness and abhor evil? How can I fervently serve the Lord? Now you should confess every sin. And you should make specific commitments of how you want to live out these commands. But don't forget that only the grace of God can produce genuine change. I mean, loving people, I mean really loving people, loving goodness, serving the Lord, I mean they all demand God's grace. So walk in the grace of God. Walk in the grace of God. Live in His Word. Be devoted to prayer. Worship. Obey His will. Now don't forget that the fruit of the Spirit are the fruit of the Spirit. And the way that we produce the fruit of the Spirit is by walking in the Spirit. So rely on the grace of God. And by God's grace, you can obey the 13 challenges that God gives in these five verses, four verses. 
So, so I want to challenge you as we close to think very specifically. Maybe even write down a list. Not just generally, yeah, I'm going to love people and I'm not going to be a hypocrite. And they think very specifically of what God by His Spirit wants you to change in your life. And then by His grace, do it. Commit right now to keep growing. Do not stay where you are. Take the next step that God wants you to take. Heavenly Father, thank You for the admonitions that You have given in this this passage. And Lord, I pray that all of us would reflect on what Your Word is saying to us and that we would respond with submission, with joy, and with a desire to please You. And so God, I pray that Your Spirit would give us grace for real change. God, I pray that each of us as individuals would take the next step. And that Lord, we would do so together so that our church would grow more and more into the image of the Savior. And so, Lord, I pray for Your work among us. I pray that that couples would, would take time to talk, to visit, to help each other. Families, men, women, and that we would press forward by the grace of God to serve you, to take the next step. In Jesus' name, amen.